Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. Good morning, everyone. My name is Colin. I'm going to be reading this morning from John chapter 5, verses 2 through 9. Now in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate there is a pool called in Hebrew Bethzada, which has five porticos. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, Stand up, take your mat and walk. At once the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. I want to say, I always forget to do this after the first service, but thank Alex for his, her testimony. Wasn't it awesome? Yeah. And also, don't worry, if I see you fill out a pledge card today, we're done with the testimonies about why people give, so I will not be contacting you. Today was the last one. Uh, let us start today with prayer. Holy and gracious God, for the gift of this community that gets to hear your word together, for the gift of scripture that gives us a vision and story and metaphor of who you are, we give you thanks. Open our eyes and our hearts and our minds so that we can see you and know you and experience you and walk the life that you call us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, how many of you guys like the book of John? Yes. One person, I love it. Uh, I, I, if I, there's only four Gospels, and so probably at any given time I might say that they're always my favorite, but I, uh, oftentimes it's between Luke and John. I love those two. Uh, and I, I love John because it is such a rich text with metaphor and images, and there's just like a lot to play around in. Uh, and so this week, I have been playing around in John 5. It's a great passage. And as I've been playing around in it, the, the thing that kept standing out to me over and over again is the question that Jesus asks this man, do you want to be made well? It's a great question. I've often heard that great leaders ask great questions. It's a great question. The thing about this text, though, is as we play around in it, it's hard to know what does Jesus mean by that question? What is the tone 
of his voice in asking that question. Is it a tone of joy? Do you want to be made well? Is it sarcasm? Do you want to be made well? Is it love? Do you want to be made well? Is it contempt? Do you want to be made well? Right? Like how, it's like reading a text message. We just don't know exactly what the tone is. How many of you guys have gotten in a fight over a text message, right? Yeah. I wanted to show you a key and peel. Uh, uh, there's a video by Key and Peel, and I wanted to show it, but I couldn't find an uncensored one, and I just, I couldn't go there. Not on a Sunday morning, there might have been kids. But look it up today, Key and Peel, text messaging. We can't read the assumptions, the, the tone of who Jesus is. And so we began to put assumptions on Jesus. We began to make assumptions about what he means by this text and by this question. Um, and what it gets back to at the root of it is who do we think is um, the character of God? What are our assumptions about who God is? Now, if I were to just ask you, who is God? What is God? The Sunday school answer that you probably all have been trained is God is love, right? You all were thinking that. You just didn't want to say it, right? God is love. Yeah. But if we take that phrase and we peel it back like an onion, on the very inside, in our very inner being, I'm not sure that we're always all convinced of that. Sometimes I think we think that God is a God of um, hate or contempt. I was meeting with a guy a couple of years ago in Kopi, and I can still remember um, the conversation that I had with him. He came out like 20 years ago, and he came from a very uh, conservative, um, uh, fundamentalist, Pentecostal background. And he confessed to me that he, talk about your heart racing, you were talking about, just walking into the doors of the church, he was, he was truly worried that something would happen to him because he, a heathen, a sinner, a gay man, was, was, was coming into this like pure Christian culture. He, he confessed worry about me as someone who proclaims God's love is for everyone that God might harm me because I wasn't speaking the gospel truth. Not because he didn't want to believe it, but because deep in his bones, the image of God that he had was a God of terror and wrath. I remember having, so all of us have felt that way maybe at one point or another, right? Sunday school answer, God is love. And then all the layers underneath, sometimes things happen, and we're like, what's God doing? Right? Or maybe sometimes we think the, the, God of, the, the God is a God of indifference, that God doesn't give a damn. Um, we, I remember having a coffee with, with someone, I think maybe a taste of heaven, sitting there, and 
And this woman said, why is there so much pain in this world? Why are black and brown bodies imprisoned in our country at much higher rates than white bodies? Why can my best friend not find a job? Why is my child paralyzed with depression and she can't break out of it? I don't think God cares. God is indifferent. And so when we think about this question of Jesus, do you want to be made well? If deep in our bones we think God is a God of wrath, that question sounds awful. If deep in our bones we think God is a God of indifference, well, we might even just be saying, why is, why is Jesus even asking this question? And is, is he going to do anything about it, right? And if we're honest with ourselves, we've all been in all of those places about God. We've made those assumptions that the character of God is all of those things. Yes? No? Depends on the day. So I want to stand up and preach the gospel today and say God is a God of love. That's the Sunday school answer, but it's also the truth. God is a God of just justice. That's not a Sunday school answer, and sometimes that's scary for us to hear that word justice. We just want to talk about God's love for us. I just want to talk about God's love for me. Justice is talking about God's love for everybody else and God's preferential care for those who are most vulnerable. God is a God of love and a God of justice. I want to invite you, I really deeply regret I forgot to do this with the first service. I want to invite you because that is the Sunday school answer and also it is the answer that we struggle with because we go between all these images of God. I want to invite you to meditate on that this week. I want to invite you to spend five minutes a day. I was just trying to do the math of how many minutes are in an actual day, um, but I can't. All that came to my mind was 525,600 minutes. But that would be a whole year. Uh, five minutes a day, what, I don't know how many minutes that is over the course of your 24 hours. Meditating on that. God is love. Maybe there's an image that comes to your mind. God is justice. Maybe there's an image. But to sit with that, to gaze into that. Can you guys do that? Who wants to commit to five minutes a day for the next week? I, uh, I'm going to get the statistics all wrong, but I was listening to Science Mike, and he was talking about like when people meditate daily on a loving God, there's something in their brain that's supposed to be like equal, and there's two parts, one on the left and one on the right, and the, the one side grows bigger, and it increases people's capacity to have compassion and care in situations when they meditate on a loving God. It's pretty amazing. I don't know the brain parts, like cortex or maybe, or are there two of those? I don't know. Go back and listen to Science Mike. You can tell. So I want to invite you to do that, to meditate on those, those words. No scripture homework this week, meditation homework. 
So I want to sit with this idea of God is a God of love and a God of justice, and I want us to go back and look at the scripture passage now. Looking closely. So here's Jesus. He arrives in Jerusalem. It is for a festival. We don't know what festival, some sort of Jewish festival. And at, at this ca- festival, near the gate, he encounters many sick people who are lying by the pool of Bethesda, hoping to be healed. Now, this pool has a reputation for healing the sick. There's this um, legend, this tradition that says that uh, just out of nowhere, an angel will appear, an invisible angel, and stir the waters. And the person to be able to get from where they are in the portico into the water first will be healed. Everything will be fine. Uh, And so there is this pool. It's deep. It's hard to get in. You need assistance. But it offers healing. And it's at this pool that Jesus meets a man who is labeled as an invalid. We don't know what that means. He could be blind. He could be paralyzed. Probably paralyzed because it said take up your mat, right? But we don't know exactly what his condition is, just that he is sitting at the pool and he has been waiting for 38 years. Raise your hand if you are under the age of 38. He has been waiting longer than you have been alive. He's been waiting by this pool for 38 years with a condition that has paralyzed him. He's been waiting by this pool with the promise that he will be healed. And I wonder about what it means, uh, like, as he was waiting. I haven't been waiting for anything for 38 years. But there's some things that I've been waiting for, and in my own life, I can only speak to that. There's sometimes where there's like a certain comfort and familiarity in that pain of waiting. Like we want something different, but it's also very comforting to kind of be stuck in that place. You all know what I'm talking about? We can feel diminished in that place and stuck, hoping for healing, but maybe actually never expecting it to happen. Hoping for change, but not doing anything. Paralyzed for 38 years. So this story is about this man waiting And it's also about the pool and the system of offering promise of healing, but not access to healing. Every day, the most vulnerable people in the city, the most helpless people in the city, waited by that pool. And every day, they were denied. They were denied healing because they couldn't get into the pool because of their disability. Do you get, like, do you, let me put this another way. They were denied what they needed because they didn't have what they needed to get into the pool. Do you hear how odd that is? They were denied healing because they weren't well enough to get into the pool to receive healing. That is an awful system, y'all. That is an awful system. So here, and 
And Bethesda is supposed to mean house of mercy. That's a messed up house of mercy. So here sits this man and all of these other people who have been waiting. Waiting and hoping in a system that is not working for them. And that got me thinking about all the systems that we wait on and hope in. So this is a participation part. I want you to shout out. What are the systems that you and I are invested in, the places that we keep sitting and waiting by, hoping that we will find wholeness and salvation in them, but we continue to come up short? What are some of those places? I've got a few written down, but I want you guys to shout some out. Yeah. What are the places and the systems that we sit waiting by, hoping that that's what's going to bring healing and wholeness to us, when in fact it's just a broken system? Like this pool where you, um, you want to get healing, but you can't get healing because you're not well enough to get into the pool. Some of the churches we grew up in. Some of the churches we grew up in, yeah. They offer, somebody said church in the first service, that some churches say these are the things you need to do. And if you don't do them, you're not in, and therefore you're broken, when in fact, it is our brokenness that makes us beloved by God. Yeah. Governments. Say it again. Governments. Governments. Yes, we put our lot of hope in a system, and it fails us. Yeah. Healthcare. Our health care. Education. Education system. Mm -hmm. economy. The economy. Our politicians, mental health care, fair housing. Fair housing. And these, go ahead. Technology. technology. Yeah. Prison the prison industrial complex. I want to come back to technology. I love how somebody said in the first service, I'm pointing back here because it was somebody back there, not you, Mike. Uh, they said something about social media, and we think that it draws us closer to each other, but it actually isolates us more. Mm -hmm. The prison industrial complex, I just watched 13th on Friday night. That's what I, how I roll, just sit there and watch a movie all by myself. Uh, and this, like, this idea that the prisons are going to make us safer when in fact they're just locking up more and more black and brown people. Any others? Huh? Immigration, Immigration yeah. So we, we think, oh, if we have firm boundaries, that's going to somehow save us or make us better. Yes, drug laws that criminalize black and... Gosh, man, we're surrounded by systems, are we not? I bet you can name 10 more. We're, we're not going to have you, but I bet you could. Um, I, I named a couple others. Uh, marriage. Ooh, watch out, Brittany. <laughs> I, I haven't started doing this yet because I haven't... Watch out for the next person that asked me to do their wedding. Uh, some of my friends have come across this quote that says something like, if you assume that this person is going to fulfill all of your needs, you are going to be severely disappointed. Right? Not that marriage isn't great, right? But cannot be your everything. Any others? Anybody dying to share? Material things? Yeah. 
yeah, that our value comes from what we're wearing or driving or um, what we possess. Yeah. Ooh, that was good, church. So we invest in these things. So Jesus meets this man, and he asks that question again, that question that, you know, is, is what we're thinking about. Do you want to be made well? Now, the Greek word uh, for well, um, a better translation, another translation is maybe whole. It's, it's hugias. I did not take Greek. Hugias. It means to be made whole. And when I think about wholeness, it doesn't come from any of those systems that we just named. Wholeness is more than physical healing. It's about restoration. It's about knowing and claiming and rooting into our identity as God's beloved. It's about realizing that the more integration we do within ourselves, the more we will know ourselves. Being made whole is about allowing those places of tenderness and vulnerability within us those places where we feel stuck and depressed, those things that we continue to hope will be different but continue to be the same, being made whole means that we offer all of this messy and vulnerable stuff up to God. And we trust that God will treasure it and will give us strength to live life in a new way. I wish, I wish wholeness were as, as quick as in the scripture where it's like, get up, you're healed. But it's really this like long process. It is this long journey of freedom from the paralysis of pain that we can be stuck in. It's this long journey of offering all of our brokenness up the pieces that we try to ignore or that we can be stuck in. Being made whole takes a long time. But it's rooted in God's love for us. And so I hear that in this question, and then I also hear that justice piece I was telling you about, right? God's love for us means that God loves our neighbor just as much. And sometimes our neighbor is caught up in systems that are not helping, right? System, the systems that are causing pain and fa- offering false promise. And so I hear in Jesus' question of do you want to be made, well, I hear maybe just even a little bit of anger, not at the man, but at the system. It's like he's saying, Do you really think you can get well and become whole off of this system that you have sworn allegiance to? Do you really think that's what's going to make you whole? Do you hear just a little anger? Maybe just a little? Not at the person, but at the system? Yeah. So rather than helping, so Jesus could have done one thing. He could have picked up the guy and taken him over to the water and put him in, and, and, and he could have gotten his healing. But he does something else, something actually kind of more powerful, I think. He offers, um, he tells the guy, he offers wholeness. He tells the guy, pick up your mat and walk. 
And so with this healing miracle, Jesus does two really powerful things. He challenges the unjust system, this system that implies it offers equal opportunity but actually doesn't. And he offers wholeness for this man, healing for this man. And what I love about this story is that it tells us we cannot be healed by hope in a system. Freedom, authenticity, wholeness, all of that only comes, only comes from our identity in Christ. Not as an exclusive thing, I'm not, not saying that, but as a rooted in our identity of God and Christ. Right? That it is this love that will not let us go, that opens us up to new possibilities and ways of being. That is the transformation work. Now, this is a sermon that I have tried to walk a line with of, y'all, we have to uh, meditate and sit in God's love, and we have to critique and change systems. And some of you are sitting in the seats, and you're like, yes, Brittany, praise God. I need more meditation and contemplation in my life. And some of you are saying, yes, Brittany, praise God. We need to get out on the streets and change systems and critique them. Praise God. Because uh, one, one of those usually comes easiest for us, right? One of those is like, one of the, like we don't have to work at it. It just is. And the other is like, oh, don't make me do that. That's too hard. I just want to do this. But y'all, it's both. It's both. Oh, was that a clap? Awesome. Yeah. Amen. Uh, it's both, and it can, we cannot change systems if we do not take care of ourselves and, and connect into God first. That is what gives us the strength and the fuel to do. It's like the, the flying of the airplane. And you know how, like, when you get in an airplane and they say, in case of an emergency and oxygen comes down, please put it on your. Self first, and then help other people, right? You've got you've to have that connection. So uh, how many of you know who Richard Rohr is? Yeah, probably because like, I, br- I would bring him up every week if I could. Um, he is, I find him to be so wise. Uh, for, you, for those that don't, do not know him, uh, Father Richard Rohr is a Franciscan priest who back in 87, after doing this life of activism rooted in his faith, but a life of activism, in 1987, decided to found the Center for Action, Critique Unjust Systems, and Contemplation, Receive Healing and Wholeness from Jesus, right? And what he found is that um, he, he, he did this because he saw a deep need for the integration of action and contemplation, because people usually like to choose one or the other, right? So over the years, he said he met many social activists who were doing like excellent social analysis, who were advocating for crucial justice issues, um, but they were not working from an energy of love. I love that Alex actually brought that up in her testimony. It's, it's rooted in an energy of love, not an energy of anger. Right? They were not doing it from an energy of love. They were still living in their false sense, self is what he says, with the need to win, the need to look good, the attachment to a superior political correct self-image. Ooh, that's harsh. So listen to what he says. 
Here's what he says. They may have the answer, but they are not themselves the answer. In fact, they are often part of the problem. That's one reason that most revolutions fail. Too many reformers self-destruct from within. For that very reason, I believe Jesus and great spiritual teachers first emphasized transformation of consciousness and soul. Unless that happens, there is no lasting or grounded reform or revolution. When a subjugated people rise to power, they often become as controlling and dominating as their oppressors because the same demon of power has never been exercised in them. We need less reformation and more transformation. Kind of harsh, huh? Yeah. And beautiful. So quick survey. You're going you're gonna to raise your hand for one of these two. I'm going to ask the question, and then I'll let you poll so you know what the two answers are. How many of you find it easiest to sit in contemplation? It's personal piety, study your Bible, pray, all of that. And the other is, how many of you find it easier to be out in the community, maybe uh, taking, taking soup to somebody that's sick, marching in a parade, um, standing up for justice, okay? So those are the two. And I'm, I'm guessing y'all find it easier to do one over the other, okay? How many of you find it easiest to uh, do the contemplation piece, as Richard Rohr has it? Like, it's easiest to sit and pray and be rooted into that, okay? Everybody look around at each other. It, there's nothing to be ashamed of. This is all good. Th that's a gift from God that God has given you, okay? How many of you guys find it easiest to be out um, cooking a meal for somebody, um, housing refugees, um, marching in a parade to be out in the world? Okay, look around. These are gifts from God that they've given you. Okay, how many of you feel like you're doing a really good job of both? Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to do both. So the reason I ask you to look around is I want you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands again, I want you to find somebody else that's doing the other thing that you don't do well well and talk to them about it. Okay? How many of you like action? Oh, I did that opposite. Are you guys okay? You followed me? How many of you like action? Okay. Look around. How many of you like contemplation? Did you guys find a partner? Did you make eye contact across the room? Maybe at the coffee hour? Because it's both, y'all. In this story, Jesus does both. Okay. Can I ask a question? Yeah, sure. That's a good that's like both seem good and both seem at home. But you're not doing either? I don't know. I feel like not doing either. So find somebody and start somewhere. Yeah. I would suggest probably starting with the contemplation. But the other thing I want to tell you guys about the contemplation piece. Well, actually, with both, there's this tendency like, ah, I, God is still making me holy. God is still healing me. God is still calling me. I just need to sit in this for a little bit longer, and then, and then I can go out and do this stuff, right? And, and the reality is we're never going to be totally healed. We're never going to be totally whole, and we just got to get out there and do it. And then on the other side, you know, people are like, oh, I just have one more 
protest. I have one more meal to cook, and then I will, and then I, I, I just have to finish this checkbox of things to do, and then I will sit in prayer. And you know what? There was always another thing to do at the bottom of that list. You're never going to complete it. And so you just have to sit and, 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 and be okay with that and gaze into the loving God, right? Because it is both, but it has to start. We have to be fueled by the meditation piece or we will burn out. Now, I know y'all, many of you are fired up. I've seen your Facebook posts. <laughs> and that's great, and you should be. I, uh, sadly, because we did it so late in the fall, we had our first uh, fire pit fire. And I started it with leaves. And then you want the twigs to catch on, and then the logs. Oh, and there were some pine cones in there, too. If it is all leaves, that fire goes out real quick. Goes out real quick. So I want to critique, and I want to change, and we've got to do that, but it has to be rooted in our own vulnerability and transformation. It has to be rooted in our desire to be changed. It has to be rooted in, in asking God, show me, what, show me what the queendom looks like. What is your vision? It is in Jesus that we have the strength to combat the systems that are broken, not out of some sense of angst, but because we are rooted in this mystery and healing mystery of God that's transforming us and sculpting us into something more beautiful and whole. And in, when we are rooted in that, we are allowed to transform and sculpt our systems into something that are more just and fair. So y'all ready to live into this calling? To live into this healing to wholeness calling? for ourselves and the world. Amen.